saw it this morning in class, we saw it this morning in the sermon, there's a powerful emphasis on God's people being honest. We see Psalm 15, 1 through 2, it declares, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. Psalms 51, 6, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. James 5.12 warns us, above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. And this morning, we saw that lying has consequences. Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied, not just to Simon Peter, but it says to God himself, what happened to them? They died, right? Pretty serious consequences. So why is honesty so important to God? Told over and over and again that it is. Why? Why should God care if we tell the truth or not? He wants us to be like him. God is truthful. He's a truthful God. When God says something, you can depend on it being true. And just like any other good father, he wants his children to be like him. Why else would God want us to be truthful? What? To be an example, and we represent him. When we say something, what do people think about it? It reflects on God somehow. When we say things, if Christians are dishonest, what does the world call us? Hypocrites. Why? Because we are. That's a good answer. They would call us hypocrites because we say God calls us to a higher standard and clearly we're not meeting it. People understand who God is by how we live. We claim to be something. We don't live like that. They're going to call us hypocrites. People are listening to us. They want to know, do we take our God seriously? They want to know, do you really love Jesus enough to live an honest and a righteous kind of life? And what they'll think of God is what they think of us, what they see in us. And when they see us as a people who speak truth, we saw this morning, that's going to stand out. We saw all those um, statistics about how often people lie. Back in 1996, a psychologist at the University of Virginia did a study of 147 people uh, asked to keep a diary of all the falsehoods they told over the week, assuming they even remember them. And in one week alone, 30% deceive others in one-on-one -on -one interactions. They found that 10% of lies were exaggerations, 60% outright deceptions, and most were subtle lies, often of omission. And they found that one out of seven of every lies that some we tell is going to be found out, that there's going to be a consequence, not just a consequence of sin that we saw in Scripture this morning, but an actual physical consequence immediately. Someone's going to catch you in that lie. And even though one out of seven lies is uncovered, more than 70% of these liars surveyed said they would tell their lies again, despite the consequences. They would keep doing it. And so knowing that, why do people... Why? Why would they keep on doing this? What motivates people to lie? Okay. Get attention. Yeah, we want to create a, a good 
persona around ourselves. And so we exaggerate things a little bit. We say we're a little bit better than we are. Get out of trouble. We saw this morning all the kids who were telling those lies. Uh, you curfew. Oh, I was stuck in traffic at 11 p.m. at night in Greenfield, Indiana. No, you weren't. You were trying to get out of trouble. Why else would we lie? We want to be accepted by people. We want a good reputation. Okay. How so? Okay. <laughs> Confession time, everybody. <laughs> Sometimes we don't tell everything because it's right. going so it to was, hurt people. So this morning we saw Ananias and Sapphira. Why did they lie? We had to guess. They wanted to be like everybody else, specifically Barnabas, right? Barnabas had just done this great thing for the church. We want to be like him, but they didn't want all of the um, sacrifice that took. Why else would Ananias and Sapphira have lied? Okay. Mm -hmm. We gave all we had to. Mm -hmm. okay. Ultimately, it came down to they, for whatever reason, thought they could cheat God. It wasn't about cheating in the church. They, for whatever reason, thought they could get this lie past God. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to impress the church, but ultimately, they wanted to impress God with a manipulation. That was foolish. Why did Jacob lie? Gain the birthright. He wanted something for himself. We said this morning he resented his father. His father loved Esau more. He had contempt for Esau. Ultimately, he didn't trust God. You know, people don't usually lie to protect other people's feelings. Most people lie to protect themselves. They, they want to tell a lie to protect their failures or, or hide their sins. Most are like the, the child whose mother walks into the living room, sees the, the, the glass of spilled milk, right? And the mother asks, who did this? Kid says, it wasn't me. The only kid in there. The only person in there. They don't have a cat. The cat always does it, though. <laughs> Not me, I didn't do it. And the mother knows, and no one else there that did it. The child knows that she knows that, but tells a lie to try to escape punishment. The problem with lying to cover our sins, our shortcomings, is that we hurt others by doing it. One of the main people, though, we hurt and deceive is ourselves. How do we deceive ourselves when we lie to other people? How did Ananias and Sapphira deceive themselves when they lied to the church? They thought there was something. They thought they could actually get away with this. They thought that this would actually boost their reputation. That's the lie we tell ourselves. We say if we keep lying, we can take control of our lives and we can make people think well of us. The problem, though, is we're deceiving ourselves as much as we're trying to deceive other people because it rarely works. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church, what did Peter say? You haven't just lied to human beings. You have lied to God, and you can't fool God. When they lied, it wasn't just to Peter. It was to God himself, and God wasn't fooled. They deceived themselves into thinking they could trick God. King David had a, a technique. 
for avoiding self-deception. He asked for God's help. David wrote, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, David realized most of us have spiritual blinders on. We view our actions as justified, as righteous, and if we can't square our actions as being justified or righteous, we lie to others and we lie to ourselves until they are. And we wouldn't have uh, gone through this if we, we didn't think we are justified. And even when we know those actions are wrong, we, we try to put a spiritual spin on them, to put ourselves in the right. But David knew what Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17.9. We can't undeceive ourselves, and David knew this, by ourselves. We can't tell ourselves that we are in the wrong alone. We need God to do that if we truly want to go at this. David asked God to come in and search his heart, to examine him, to try his motives. He started out by being honest with God so he could start to be honest with himself and with others. But now the problem is many people have trouble even being honest to God. They believe that somehow if they're clever enough, this is what uh, we saw with Ananias this morning and his wife, that God won't know they sinned, that they can slip it past him. But David wrote, Psalm 139, favorite psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. You know, there's no place that we can hide from God. There's no place that God can't hear us or see us or know what we're thinking. And even David, who wrote Psalm 139, tried at least once to hide his sins from God, but he wrote after that, Psalms 32, 3 through 5, there it is. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, and then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. You see, the key to being honest with ourselves and with others, we have to figure out a way to be honest with God, to repent of our sins, to confess our sins to him, and then we can start to deal with our sins. Maybe difficult telling the truth to other people, but once we get the foundation of being honest with God and saying, God, I cannot handle my sins on my own, and we get that forgiveness from him, then we can go to anyone else and say, you know what, if the Almighty God is willing to forgive my sins, I'm willing to ask you for forgiveness too. Because God doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to build us up. He wants us to learn to be an honest and a truthful people and then use that truth to build others up. Now a quiz. How many of you think as Christians that we should always tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Okay, one hand. How many of you think that we shouldn't always tell the truth? How many of you don't think? Seen the Geico commercial uh, on TV. It was back in, in 2004. Um, woman walks in the room. It's really quick. It's only like 15 seconds long. Woman walks in the room. Um, 
asked her husband, do you think this dress makes me look fat? You remember what the husband said? You betcha. Now, all across America, you could hear the, the collective groan of all the men sitting in their lazy boy chairs saying, you know you shouldn't be saying that. And then Geico, Geico chimes in and, and says, uh, in the amount of time it takes to pull out the sleeper sofa, you can be saving hundreds of dollars on car insurance. <laughs> that man, he may have told the truth to his wife, but that particular truth wasn't the smartest thing to say. Maybe you've seen the, the movie, uh, The Invention of Lying. I watched it a few months ago. It's pretty funny. It's a cool concept, but the idea is there's a society without any lying at all, and one guy finally figures it out, and everyone's miserable because you're all going around saying everything that's on your mind. And, you know, you're ugly, you're fat, you're whatever to everybody. You're not good at your job. I mean, these were cutting insults that they came up with. Um, and then one guy finally figured out that if he held his tongue, People liked him a lot, and he became king of the world, essentially, because he was able to figure out there's some truths that are better kept to ourselves. So what's the deal? Should we always tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Before we discuss this and get to that text in Ephesians 4, I want to read maybe one of the most unusual stories from Exodus 1 uh, that might help us think about this. And there we're told um, that the Egyptians began to fear the Israelites because they were growing and growing, uh, and there was a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And so pharaoh feared that eventually, uh, if the population grew to a point, he wouldn't be able to manage all these Israelites anymore. And so in Exodus 1, verse 8, we read, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. There in verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt with well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. You know, the Pharaoh didn't have Joseph around, calm him down. He was afraid of the Hebrews. They were going to have too many kids. Eventually, they might join a, an enemy army. And so he ordered the Hebrew midwives, who always helped women deliver their babies, to stop doing it, to kill the boys. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him, and if it's a girl, let her live. 
They wouldn't do that, though. They knew it was wrong. They knew the God of Israel was powerful and that they should not do this. In fact, they said when Pharaoh asked why the boys were still alive, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Now, did the midwives tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, not even close. These women were speaking uh, to the Hitler of their day, to the Stalin of their era. He was a, a thug intent upon destroying God's people. And had they told him the truth, there was no telling what evil they would have devised. So they lied to him. And what did God think of their action? Exodus 1.20, Therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people were well with the midwives. People multiplied and grew very mighty, and so it was, because the midwives feared God and provided households for them. So he rewarded them. Why? Because what they did, they did out of fear for God. They didn't lie because they feared for their own lives. They lied because they feared God. So, now what do you think? Should we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes? Or say nothing at all. Hmm? Or say nothing at all. Okay. Any other thoughts? Hmm? Save it in love. Any other thoughts? Now notice, there, there's no approval from God here for their lying. That's not in here. You won't find it anywhere in Scripture where God approves of lying. God does not lie. He cannot lie. He does not want his people to lie. But here, in, if we look in Ephesians 4, I think it helps us wrap our minds around this paradox that we see between uh, these Hebrew midwives and how they were dealt well with and how we also see just the impracticality that some truths when we tell them hurt. Paul writes to the Ephesians, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're to speak the truth and love. And notice here, oftentimes we apply that verse to talk about how we talk to people outside the church, or to tell them the truth in love and set them straight, right? That's not who he's talking about right here, although I think it, it certainly applies that we're to tell the truth and love to everyone, but he's talking about within the church. We should be telling each other the truth in love so that we can grow up and, and, and be one body. And then in verse 25, let's see. Therefore, putting away line, this is where he starts to talk about neighbors, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And Paul says the way that we grow is by speaking the truth in love. The way we talk to our neighbors is by not lying, but speaking the truth. So what does that mean? 
What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Be kind. What? Okay. Specific truths we're supposed to tell. I know. So we're supposed to be speakers of truth, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. We never speak the truth out of anger, never speak the truth maliciously. Corrupt words are not to come out of our mouths. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, they have no place in our hearts. Why? Well, not Christ-like. God in Christ forgave us. That's what it says here in Ephesians 4. That's why we are to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. He says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The reason we do all of this, because that's what Christ did for us. So if we act differently towards other people, then we're saying we don't really believe that's what Christ did for us. Christ didn't show us love. He set us straight. That's what we say to ourselves when we go and try to do the same thing with other people. If the way we are telling the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth damages and destroys the people around us, we should not be telling it, period. There was a man who was honest with his wife. He told her he, she was a bad housekeeper, that she was a rotten mother, that she was unattractive. He emotionally uh, browbeat her every time, and, and eventually she would start to tell her own lies to protect herself from this, and when he found out about that, he said that she was a liar. And what he said always had a measure of truth to it. She probably wasn't the best housekeeper in the world. She probably wasn't the perfect mother. She probably never won any beauty contests. She uh, did lie to avoid his emotional abuse. This husband, he spoke the truth to his wife, but it wasn't a wholesome truth, like it says here in Ephesians 4. It was not a truth intended to edify her, it was a truth intended to drag her down and destroy her. Paul tells us, let no corrupt or another translation, unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, Ephesians 4, 29. And we should always be kind and tenderhearted to one another in verse 32. So anything else, whether it is true or a lie, should not be coming out of our mouths. And when I finally put the sermon together for this morning, something you know, kind of bothered me. It, it, we talked a lot about you know, how lying ravaged Jacob's family, how it, it destroyed his opportunity to see his mother again before she died, took away a lot of his life. But we talked about all the damage that it did for Jacob and Isaac and, and for their family, but I don't see you guys as liars. It's not a, a need that I felt we had to address here. I know the statistics say that a lot of us are guilty occasionally of lying, but certainly it's not as malicious as Jacob's and Ananias and Sapphira's. But I realized, reading through Ephesians 4, there is so much more to a Christian's life 
than just not lying. We can talk about that, and we can get that down, but we're called to something more. We're called to tell the truth. As Ephesians 4.15 says, we need to be speaking the truth in love, not just not lying in love. We should be speaking the truth. So what truths should Christians be speaking? Gospel? Ones that edify? Okay. So, to apply that, if we see someone who, who's doing something that we know God doesn't want them to do, we have an obligation to step in and help them through that. Absolutely. What else? What? Praises for God. What else? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was just sitting here thinking, I actually hate it when my wife goes out and buys new dress. You know what I'm saying? No, no I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> What other truths should Christians be speaking? Okay. So, got a lot of focus on, you know, we need to be speaking the truth about the gospel. We need to be edifying people. We need to be correcting people. We need to be teaching people. What else should we be speaking the truth about, though? Is he just referring to what's contained in this book that we have to be speaking the truth about? Everything. So what else should we be telling people to build them up? Encourage them. Huh? So, yeah. So our, our first responsibility is not to tear people down. If we're doing that, we're really far off base. The Bible says... We're called to a lot more than just not tearing people down. Anyone can do that. We're called to build people up. Our responsibility goes beyond tearing people down. We need to tell people that we love them. You know, too often in families, we let those kinds of truths slip away because we think they're just assumed. We need to be telling people we love them, that God loves them. We need to be telling people when they do things well, those are truths we should be speaking. It's like the, the surveys that businesses hand out or you know, fast food chains hand out. How often do you fill those out because somebody handed you your sandwich on time or they had really great service? And how often do you fill those out because you're really angry about some experience you had? We are quick to give feedback when we want to tear people down or give them constructive criticism. But when they do things well, we should be speaking the truth then. And then finally, of course, we need to be telling the truths of the gospel. It's not compassionate, it's not Christ-like to withhold the truth when it comes to eternal life. It, that is cruelty and that's callousness. Of course, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't tell people false gospels, but more than that, we can't let people keep on thinking that they're fine 
When the Bible says they're not fine, they need to believe the news about Jesus. He gave us the truth, and that truth alone will set us free. So we need to build a reputation like Pam, right, said, that's what you said, that we need to build a reputation in our workplaces of honesty. Part of that is we build a reputation of honesty about everything else, so then when it comes to matters of the Bible, we've got something that people can rely on. We have a reputation of truthfulness, so when we talk about the truth, people will listen. We must speak the truth in love all the time. The world looks at our lives, they listen to our speech, and they determine whether we live our lives to glorify God. But they don't just listen to what we say. We can read this book in an open forum all day long, and that is the truth and the closest thing to the truth we can get. And they might listen to those words occasionally, but far more often they're going to listen to how we say them, how we tell the truth. And if it's not in love, it has no place out in our mouths. As Paul wrote, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We should not be liars, but we should also be truth speakers. And all the truths that we speak should be building people up. So if you're here this evening, you're struggling with this. Maybe you haven't been as truthful with others as God tells you to be. Maybe you've been trying to lie uh, to God himself. Or maybe you've just been speaking the truth in something less than love. Church is here to help you and forgive you, build you up. Or you're here this evening and you want the forgiveness that Christ offers so you can learn to show it to others and you're ready to clothe yourselves in Christ and be baptized. Now's the time to come to the front of the room as we stand and as we sing.